Hello and welcome to the Queen's Reading Room podcast, the place where we invite lovers of literature to share with us some of the bookish treasures from their own reading rooms. This week, we are honoured to be joined by one of our generation's greatest novelists and deepest thinkers. She's the author of 19 books translated into 56 languages, including The Bastard of Istanbul, The Architect's Apprentice and The Island of Missing Trees. She's a founding member of the European Council on Foreign Relations, an advocate for women's rights, LGBTQ plus rights and freedom of expression, and is one of the most inspiring speakers of our age. She's lived in London since 2013, but carries Istanbul always in her soul. I'm Vicky Perrin, Chief Executive of the Queen's Reading Room, and today I invite you to step into the reading room of... Hi, I'm Elif Shafag. To explore the books she simply couldn't live without. What I should tell you right away is um, I do not keep my books in one specific place, corner. Um, Books are everywhere and they keep walking, they keep moving. My books are very nomadic, you know, um, and everything keeps shifting. So in every room, uh, without exaggeration, I think, yeah, I'm thinking of every single room in the house, you will find books. And and that's the way I like it, you know. And when I open the books that I've read and reread so many times over the years, it's so visible, the journey, because we have been on a journey. Books change us. We are a different person when we start reading. And by the time we finish, something has shifted in us. I think books change their readers. Books change definitely their writers. So I can see the signs of all those journeys, you know, the sentences that I have underlined, annotated, the comments I have written, uh, coffee stains, tea stains, sometimes tears. You you can see everything is there, both my notebooks and my books, I think. um, They're not very, you know, uh, clean and, and, and tidy, but it's it's a mess that very much reflects the journeys that I have gone through. And in that sense, they're special to me. One question I find difficult to answer is, you know, whether I have favorite books or favorite authors. I, I always hesitate when I think of this question because the answer changes all the time. Of course, when I look back over the years since my childhood, there have been some books that have been incredibly crucial in my own journeys, literary, personal, um, maybe even spiritual, you know, um, because books shape us in so many different ways. However, I think it's the act of reading, the process of reading to make that continuous. That's what I like. If I may also make a confession, I think many people feel the same way. Um, we remember the books we've loved so much, but we can't maybe give a precise summary of those books. What stays with us, interestingly, is rather than the plot summary or or, or a total analysis of the characters and events, 
I think what stays with us is feelings. We remember how each book made us feel, whether it inspired us or whether it made us sad or whether it pulled us up, whether it made us realize that we're not lonely in this world, as lonely as we thought we were. And those feelings are the things that we carry along as we move forward. And in that sense, I think even though it looks like we forget books easily, I believe we never, never forget how books made us feel. There have been um, many, many books that uh, I have felt an immediate sentimental connection towards. One of them uh, is no doubt uh, Virginia Woolf's Orlando. Actually, I was quite young when I read it for the first time, and I I'm not sure how much of it I understood at the time, but what I understood was, and what stayed with me very vividly, was this feeling of freedom, you know? Um, So I read Orlando several times afterwards throughout my life in a more, perhaps with a more intellectual gaze, with a more analytical gaze, and I enjoyed it just as much. But I've never forgotten how it made me feel in that first reading when I was young. And the reason why I associate with, associated with freedom is because before I read Orlando, I didn't know you could write a novel like that. It is a story that is very fluid. It just wants to flow. It just wants to break down barriers, geographical barriers, barriers of time. It's a story that moves across centuries. You know, people um, journey constantly. It's, it's a story about becoming rather than just being one thing and staying in that box once and for all. Uh, and I love that. And, and I've always liked that aspect of the novel as a genre. The novel um, has, such a, has such an interesting canvas where you can bring together centuries and geographical places and characters that might seem completely unrelated at the first glance. And then you show... Um, the threads that connect them. So you you try to make the invisible a bit more visible, the connections a bit more visible. It was Orlando that taught me for the first time in my life that this was possible for a novelist to do. And I love that sense of freedom. As anyone who's ever picked up one of her books will know, Elise's stories are infused with unique humanity and wisdom, beautifully bridging cultures and geographical boundaries. The inspiration comes to her from her rich background, reading extraordinarily widely, and from a very special woman in her life with a gift for storytelling, her maternal grandmother. I've always been a very curious reader, you know, Uh, and that curiosity, I think, is essential. So I can read anything and everything whatever speaks to me in that moment in time. I've never believed in that distinction between so-called highbrow art and lowbrow uh, literature. Who, Who makes those distinctions? Let's read everything, anything, but let's read across the board, more interdisciplinary. So I, I love reading philosophy, especially political philosophy, but I also love reading cookbooks. So you'll find lots of cookbooks on my bookshelves next to philosophy books, um, from graphic novels to poetry, uh, anything, you know, and, and each of them are very precious for me. So my reading lists have always been very eclectic, very diverse. I think we should read both fiction and nonfiction widely, extensively, and keep the curiosity alive. Now that said, I am an immigrant. 
and um, much of my life has been quite nomadic. I've lived in different countries, in different cities, and what every nomad or every immigrant, um, however we define ourselves, realizes is that you can't keep, uh, no matter how much you would have loved to, you can't keep all your books in one place, unfortunately. So you also have to let go, learn to let go, and that's painful. Sometimes when I used to, I used to be a visiting scholar uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, in Arizona, in America, and uh, for instance when I was writing one of my early novels, The Bastard of Istanbul, I would remember, oh, there's this book that I need to take another look at. Uh, there's this poem that I want to reread, but I can't because that book is in Istanbul, because I left it inside boxes and boxes and I put it in a, you know, warehouse or I had to leave it in a storage and I couldn't bring them with me. Um, so there's a little bit of separation from books in the life of every immigrant. Um, interestingly, this also helps us to have maybe a stronger memory, a stronger visual memory, uh, because sometimes you uh, memorize uh, things faster because, you know, you won't be able to bring them with you. It's only in the recent years that I've been able to keep a proper library with me. But otherwise, all throughout my life, I've had boxes of books in Istanbul, in Boston, in Michigan, in multiple cities at the same time. My relationship with books started very, very early, and I started writing fiction at an early age as well. But that's not because I was planning to become a writer, that's not because I was planning to, or dreaming of becoming a novelist. The truth is, I didn't know such a thing was possible. There were no writers around me, no novelists around me. But my connection with books was um, so existential, and it was born out of loneliness. I was an only child raised by a single mom, a single working mom. In late 1970s Turkey, that was very unusual. So I was born in France, in Strasbourg. After a while, my parents got separated. My father stayed in France, and my mom brought me to Turkey. Turkey, to Ankara. And this was a very conservative, very inward looking and very patriarchal neighborhood. This was my maternal grandmother's house. Um, and thereafter, until I was 10 years old, I was raised by my maternal grandmother while my mother went back to university, completed her degree and became a working mom. And this left a big impact on me in, in several ways. One, I think I've never forgotten the solidarity or the sisterhood or the support between my mom and my grandmother. And I'm a big believer in, in sisterhood, in women supporting each other, especially at difficult moments in their lives. But secondly, um, my grandma was a very interesting woman. She was um, tradi traditional in some ways. You, you might say she wasn't very well educated because she had been denied a proper education for being a girl. She had been pulled out of school in her generation. And she was a big believer in women's independence and girls' education. And because of that, our lives went in a completely different direction and I've never forgotten my debt to my grandmother's support. Now, the third thing is she was a storyteller and her house was full of, you know, um, magic. She would read coffee cups, she would tell stories, 
oral stories of the Middle East, of the Balkans, Anatolia, Mediterranean, the Levant, all of that shaped me. I would love to bridge to the best of my ability written culture with oral culture. I love books, I love novels, I read a lot, but I've never looked down upon oral culture, folk tales, you know, that entire world is also something that I'm still very much tuned into. Um, after a while, my mother became a diplomat after I was 10, 11 years old. And thereafter, she and I traveled a lot. And thereafter, I was able to read in different languages, in Spanish and in, in English as well. And all of that, of course, opened up a whole new world for me. I was able to discover the literature of different countries. So I think in my upbringing, I see these different phases, um, oral storytelling, written culture, the literature of different cultures, and the desire to bridge different worlds. If you had to guess which book had the most sentimental value for Elif, what would it be? As she addresses this question, her answer might perhaps surprise you. You know, one of the most emotional um, bonds, because now we're talking about emotions, uh, emotional connections with books, that I had was actually interestingly with Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. Back then, um, in Turkey, a children's magazine would um, publish sections of A Tale of Two Cities as with illustrations, and I loved it. But also it was an interesting summer. The summer I discovered it, it was the summer my parents was, were legally getting separated. And, and I was um, commuting between my paternal grandmother and maternal grandmother. And probably I felt very lonely. And so as I read this tale of two cities, as I was myself was commuting between two cities and two completely different worlds, because my paternal grandmother and maternal grandmother were very, very different people. Their worldviews were very different somehow being transported into Charles Dickens' novel helps me immensely. Books, when I say books save us, I really mean it because it happened to me. I experienced it. I think books show us that there are other worlds, other possibilities, and we can journey into those worlds, um, especially when we feel maybe lonely or vulnerable or confused, or especially at those moments in our lives, um, books take us elsewhere. And then when we come back from that elsewhere, we're a different person. To me, that's very, very important. If I may quickly add this, I've never forgotten this experience. Of course, as a writer, as a novelist, I'm aware that in fiction, whatever we write, there are autobiographical elements. But because of my own upbringing, because of the way I discovered books, I've never been interested in that autobiographical element of fiction as much as the transcendental element of fiction. And what do I mean by that? For me, fiction also enables us to transcend the borders that are given to us, the boundaries that are drawn in front of us, sometimes because of our gender, because of where we're born, because of this or that. And yet through books, you go beyond those frontiers. So I've always been interested in discovering other selves, other possibilities. And that's why I think in my writing, um, that, that journeying into other lives has, has never ceased to exist and it keeps coming with me. 
We asked Alif about the books she reaches for in times of joy and in times of sadness. Which books have stayed in her life and which have drifted away? With her usual piercing insight, she explains here how we all bring something of ourselves to the stories we read and that it's okay to put aside a book that's just not working for us. The right moment will come along. I do not have a single book that I go back to in terms of happiness or in terms of sadness. However, um, I am... I think I'm a good reader of poetry. I love reading poems. I also like song lyrics. I love reading song lyrics too. I pay attention to lyrics a lot. Um, and there are many poets that I would visit again and again in my life, throughout my life. Um, and I think I like to read poets from East and West, not just one single place, one single era or one single style, but again, make that more eclectic, more diverse. Um, also, when I'm writing a novel, when I'm in the middle of a novel, I cannot read novels, um, even though I, I read a crazy amount of, because I do a crazy amount of research. But when I'm in the middle of a novel, I do not read other novelists. However, I do read poems a lot. So uh, in many moments of our lives, I think we should go back back to poetry at, at very D different junctures of our of our lives we need we need poetry just like we need oxygen it's difficult for me to say if there's a single book that i could never be apart from um, books in general i guess uh, i wouldn't want to be apart from or bookshops i wouldn't want to be apart from libraries i wouldn't want to be apart from for sure and i always love discovering new books so i can't choose a, a single title one thing I can say is um, just as much as I, I love being surrounded with books, I also love having lots of notebooks around me. And sometimes I can't think if there, I don't have paper and pencil next to me until you put it, you know, you see it clearly in front of you or on the screen. Sometimes you don't know what you're thinking or how you're thinking what you're thinking. So um, seeing it on paper, seeing it on the screen helps us to crystallize, to clarify our thoughts. I would say that I cannot be, I find it very difficult to spend life um, staying away or being away from uh, books and notebooks. They have to be around me all the time. For me, one thing is very important. I might not be able as a writer to write every day in the way I would love to write. Like sometimes you're very prolific, some other weeks not as much. And sometimes you write, but it doesn't get, you know, uh, you, you just let go of what you've written. Um, but what, there's one thing that I am I'm, I'm very um, careful about. I read every day. Um, doesn't matter weekend, weekday, I read every day. Uh, different genres, different styles, but the reading has to be constant. Now, of course, every reader knows that no matter how much you read, there's so much out there that you don't know. And actually, the more you read, the less you know. And that's okay. It's, it's, it's very precious to be able to say, I don't know. I think one thing we have forgotten in this age of information is to say, I don't know. Um, the age we're living in, there's too much information, but very little knowledge and even less wisdom.
And I think we need to change this ratio. We have forgotten to say, I don't know. If I don't know the answer to anything you ask me, I can just Google it in the next five minutes. I'll be able to say something about the subject, but that's not knowledge. That's just a snippet of information. I think for knowledge, we need to slow down. You know, knowledge cannot be rushed. For knowledge, we need books, not social media. Um, we need in-depth journalism. You know, we need cultural festivals, cultural spaces. And hopefully for wisdom, we need to bring the heart and the mind together, emotional intelligence. So these are the things that I want to focus on. And if I cannot finish a book, um, if, if somehow I'm not able to to, to move on that's okay I don't feel guilty I put it aside it's not the right time I know I will visit that book another time and the right moment will come so as readers we're not passive you know uh, to me uh, this is this is a very important teaching that I've never forgotten every reader brings their own gaze into the story sometimes I read uh, sometimes I meet couples who have been married for like 40 years they read the same book but they don't read it in the same way our readings are unique like our fingerprints so we bring our gaze into the book we bring our story into every book. And that's why if it's not the right moment for us to read that book, that's fine. Just put it aside and the, the right moment will come. I think um, ever since my childhood, both reading and writing have been pretty much constant. Uh, the one time that link was broken was um, when I experienced postpartum depression. Um, after giving uh, birth to our first child, I, I experienced um, an emotional distress that I didn't know how to explain and how to understand. And out of that period, uh, I wrote a, a book uh, called Black Milk. And when I was writing Black Milk, actually, I learned so much. Because what happens is when you experience a depression, any depression, there are two misunderstandings that I think every individual experiences. One is you think you're alone, that everyone else is perfect. Everyone else is very happy and so tough and strong and, and look, they're perfect. So what's wrong with me? That's the first misconception. And the second one is um, when you're going through a depression, you think it's going to go on forever. You do not see it as a season in your life, but almost as a destiny. And both these feelings can be very heavy on our shoulders. Now, writing, reading helps us to realize that A, we're not alone at all, at all. So many women, so many people go through similar things, maybe in different degrees, but actually there's so many of us. And secondly, this is a season in our lives. And after that season, there will be other seasons. So um, even though I was not able to read and write for a while, uh, interestingly, it was reading and writing that pulled me out of that stage of my life. Like Elise fans all over the world, we are waiting with much anticipation for the release of her latest novel, There Are Rivers in the Sky, which will be published in the UK in August. We couldn't help asking her about it and her fascinating research process. I have just um, finished writing my new novel, working on the edits now. I'm just surfacing and being able to breathe. 
Um, and it's interesting, whether it's your first book, fifth book, tenth novel, uh, it doesn't get any easier, you know, it doesn't get easier at all. Um, and as a writer, I think you always go through these valleys of doubt, mountains of anxiety. One week you feel like, wow, you know, I have a wonderful story. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something extraordinary. And then the next week you feel just crawling on the floor and that's okay. What I have learned over the years is long years is that all of that is part of writing, the, the process, you know. And so we should welcome self-doubt, we should welcome anxiety, we should not be ashamed of these and try to see them as sources of energy and try to turn it into something more positive. So writing novels is difficult. It requires an immense amount of work and not all of that work goes into a book. And it's a bit insane. It's a bit irrational. It's a bit crazy. You couldn't do it. You wouldn't do it if you didn't love the art of storytelling. And I think what gets us going, what keeps us going at the end of the day is that love is that passion you can't explain it but you can't stop feeling it either the new novel is called there are rivers in the sky and this is a book that tells the story of three fictional characters um, they seem to be very different at first glance but of course they're connected so three fictional characters two rivers in different parts of the world and one ancient poem three two one uh, and uh, I cannot wait to share this with, with my readers. It's a book that very much revolves around water, a single drop of water journeying across centuries and places. Um, and it's a story that, that made me fall in love with the art of the novel again and again. My research process is utterly insane. I have to, you know, um, tell you that right away because I read completely unrelated, irrelevant things on everything, anything. For instance, um, for my earlier novel, The Island of Missing Trees, I did such an crazy extensive amount of research about the lives of mosquitoes, trees, fungi, you know, but also history, political history, um, the stories of immigrants, immigrants' families. I've also done lots of um, interviews and I'm very grateful to everyone who shared their stories because some of those stories were sad. Uh, they talked about their traumas, family silences. So. I do believe that as writers, we have to be and remain two things all our lives. One, we have to be good readers. And two, we have to be good listeners. We need to listen to what people are saying and how they're saying what they're saying. Their choice of words, emotions, even the silences, the gaps they leave between words. All of that is very important. So I really, really read a lot before I start every novel. Um, and then... The moment, there's a moment, there's a threshold for me when I know that I'm going to start writing, then I stop reading and then I can fly. But for me to be able to, to fly, you know, I need to know what I'm talking about. I need to know my subject. And for that, I need to approach every subject with utmost respect and delicacy and, and be determined to do my best to understand that subject, that era, that geography. 
um, of course we can make mistakes as writers, but there has to be a genuine hard work. I, I sincerely believe this. And maybe because I stayed long years in academia, I've always loved academic research, learning, interdisciplinary work. I, I never see that, you know, researching and learning as a burden, just the opposite. I, I want to remain a learner. I don't know a single human being who doesn't need fiction. And the reason why I say this is because inside fiction, there is everything. There is politics, there is history, there is philosophy, there is psychology, there is history. There is, you know, um, all of that. But perhaps more importantly, there's emotional intelligence. And whether we're dentists, designers, students, teachers, each and every one of us, we need to connect with our emotions. The second thing that fiction does is empathy, to be able to look at the world through another human being's eyes. Um, it is a very humbling exercise for the mind and for the soul, but also because it helps us to understand that we are connected, interconnected, just like trees are, both under and above the ground, you know. So I think what fiction does is it shapes our souls, it shapes our minds in, in a very constructive, beautiful way that helps us understand that actually even the people I regard as my other are not my other, you know, the other is my brother, the other is my sister, I am the other. So what it does, it, it dissolves that distinction between us versus them and pulls us back towards our shared common humanity. Elif is a great fan of Charles Dickens and particularly adores A Tale of Two Cities, which, as it happens, is also Her Majesty's favourite Dickens novel and one of the books featured on her book club. In this clip, we spoke to the incomparable Miriam Margulies about what she finds so compelling about Dickens and just what is the great author's enduring appeal. Ever since I read Oliver Twist when I was 11, I've been fascinated by and absorbed by the world of Charles Dickens. He pulls me in. You see the longings, the despair, the, the desperation and the rage, the violence. So he's able, from his own experience, and that is invaluable, to bring you to the absolute nub of what pushes people to do what they do. The ambition, the, the, just the passion. And passion is, is very exciting. So when I read Dickens, I'm bursting with excitement, it, and it never left me. It's season 13 of Her Majesty's Book Club at the Queen's Reading Room on Instagram, and she has chosen a classic, timeless novel from Daphne du Maurier, which once read can't easily be forgotten. Follow along with us as we bring the world of Mandalay to life with the help of some brilliant actors and as we explore the extraordinary story behind the creation of Rebecca. We asked the Queen just what it is about this book that she so adores. I don't know what it is about um, Rebecca, but I want to reread it all the time because you find different 
you know, you find different things as you read it a second or a third time. But it, Mrs. Danvers, I think, stands out in it. She always gives me the shivers. Just before we go, let's hear a favourite line of literature from one of our guardians of this nation's reading rooms, strategic librarian Emma from Birkenhead and Wallasey Libraries. And I urge you to please notice when you are happy and exclaim or murmur or think at some point, if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. From Man Without a Country by Kurt Vonnegut. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Queen's Reading Room podcast. We're a charity on a mission to spread the joy of books and reading. You can find out more about what the Queen is reading and what she recommends by joining her book club on Instagram at the Queen's Reading Room or by checking out our website, thequeensreadingroom.co.uk for more fabulous literary treasures. See you next time when we turn up the funny and join author and comedian David Baddiel in his reading room. Reading Room.